You are listening to Pastor Fred Neal III of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Things Every Man Needs to Know, recorded on October 22, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Fred as he preaches. Well, uh, as you just saw, we're in this series, God, Man, Woman. And if you've been here, you, you know, last week, Pastor Mike preached a sermon uh, for husbands and, and what it means to be a, a godly husband, how to love your wife and all that. So naturally, the thing that should come after that, I think, personally, is a sermon uh, for wives, a sermon so good for wives that wives instantly become everything a husband hopes that she would be. I mean, I, I mean a sermon that just that just overflows into the lives of the women of our church so much so that they just, they appreciate everything their husband does, that, you know, sexual intimacy just becomes out of this world and, and all, all of these things, right? That's, that's the sermon that should follow a good sermon like last week that Pastor Mike preached. And in two weeks, Pastor Mike's going to give that sermon when he comes back from his vacation. But tonight I want to keep speaking to the men. And this, this weekend, I, I just want us to, to continue to, to think about what it means to be a man of God. You know, Pastor Mike's talking about some of the, the details of, of what, how gender influences our, our romantic relationships with one another. But, you know, gender influences our non-romantic relationships just as much. And I think that's something that, that we need to give some attention to in our, in our culture in this culture where gender distinctions are being minimized, even eliminated much of the time, when we're trying to move towards this idea that there is no difference between male and female and any, any biological differences are insignificant, one thing that we may not even realize that is being impacted is how we relate to one another even within our non-romantic relationships. I think the fallout of not wanting to acknowledge any real difference between male and female goes beyond our sexuality and our sexual relationships. And it, and it, and it goes the whole way to this, this idea or this problem of not, not being able to accurately define what it means to be man or woman anymore. Most of us are probably old enough that, that we grew up before all of this really began to take root. But where we're really seeing the results of this is on the younger generation. Young men are growing up without a clue of what it means to be a man. Young women are, are growing up without any idea of what it means to be a woman or false ideas of what it means to be man or, or woman. We're not, we're not setting out a path or a, a course in front of our young people and, and leading them down a course that's going to lead them to healthy manhood or womanhood, both within the church and outside of the church. In fact, one of my favorite movies is a movie came out early 2000s, Secondhand Lines. I don't know how many of you saw the movie Secondhand Lines. It's a fantastic movie. I, I highly recommend you watch it. It's one of, one of my all-time favorite movies. I've probably watched it more than I've watched any other movie. It's a great movie. And one of the things that I, I love, let me tell you what the movie's about a little bit so you can understand this. So it's about this young boy who's probably about 10, 11 years old whose mom kind of, she's a little bit lost in life and she's not doing a great job 
uh, in a lot of ways raising him. And uh, she really just wants to be on her own and be selfish and live a, a selfish life. And so she sends this young boy to live on the farm with his two great uncles whom he's never met. And his two great uncles are these older guys, um, and there's a lot of mystery around these guys. There's a lot of people that, they, apparently they disappeared from the family for a long time. And so there's a lot of guessing about what happened, and supposedly these two old guys who are living in this kind of run-down old farmhouse in Texas have this great fortune hidden somewhere. And so it's a movie about this little boy who has no male figure in his life that we know of. There's, there's no dad in the picture. His mom really wants nothing to do with him. She doesn't know how to raise him. And so she sends him off sort of selfishly wanting to get away from him, but also hoping he'll discover this fortune and be able to share it with her. And she sends this young boy off to live with his great uncles. And his great uncles are these very interesting characters. The one is uh, played by Robert Duvall. The other one, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a fairly popular guy. I think you'd recognize him if you see him too. And in, in, this, in this movie, one of the subplots is that the, the uncle played by Robert Duvall has this speech that he gives to young men. It's his speech about what every young man needs to know. And this, this young boy desperately wants to hear this speech. And so that's one of the subplots that kind of plays out throughout the movie. And I I guess I'll I'll save the rest for you to go and watch the movie. But as I think about that and the significance of this young boy who has no positive male role models in his life and how desperately he needs somebody to chart a path in front of him, I think of our society today. We've got a whole generation of young people who don't know what it means to grow up to be a man of God or a woman of God, who don't even know what it means to grow up to be a man at all or a woman at all. We don't talk about these issues enough today. We're not teaching boys and girls to be boys and girls. We're ignoring the subject because we're afraid to teach them anything at all because we're being told that what we're teaching them is wrong and that we need to let them figure it out for themselves course, this has spilled over into the insanity of allowing a young child to decide whether they are male or female, which is the ultimate expression of the foolishness of this trajectory of our society today. And I'm not just talking about which toys kids should play with, whether they play with G.I. Joes or Barbie dolls. In fact, when I was a kid, I played with both. I used the G.I. Joes to blow up the Barbie dolls. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not just talking about how, how young boys or young girls should dress because gender goes so far beyond the clothes that you wear or whether or not you have facial hair. No, gender goes much deeper than this. Because in the heart of every young boy and every young girl are a lot of very important questions that need to be answered. Questions like, what does it mean to be me? Whether you're a boy or a girl, you ask yourself that question from the time you you begin to be able to think thoughts like that. What does it mean to be me? What is it? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? How should I think about myself and my place in this world? These are questions that whether we know it or not, we ask ourselves from a very young age. And today, young men and young women are not being given answers to those questions. Historically, families have provided an environment where those questions get answers. 
Now, I'm not here to, to talk about whether or not those were always the right answers or the wrong answers, or, but I'm just stating the fact historically families provided answers to those types of questions. Today, we're seeing young people grow up in an environment that more and more is not even attempting to answer those questions. We're calling this progress. We're pretending that we're freeing them up. We're setting them free to figure it out. We're setting them free to decide to be whatever they want to be. That sounds wonderful. I'm all for that kind of freedom. The problem is we are not designed to develop in this way. And that is a problem that I don't believe our society has yet identified as a problem. But there has come with this this attitude and this mentality towards gender great consequences for young people today. Great consequences. They're lost. They're confused. They don't know who they are. They don't know how they're supposed to feel about themselves. Is it a good thing to be a boy? Or is it a bad thing to be a boy? Is it a good thing to be a girl? Or is it a bad thing to be a girl? Am I even a boy? Sometimes I like things that girls like. Does that make me a girl? Or sometimes the girls think I like things that boys like. Does that make me a boy? And we're not answering those questions for them. We have no speeches in society like the one in secondhand lines. Everything a young man needs to know. What we as a society have hoped would liberate the next generation has actually deeply wounded them and left them searching for answers to some very important questions about themselves. Here's the good news, though. God already knew this. He's the one that designed us this way. Family was his idea. Male and female was his idea. And so God already knows what society is learning the hard way that we were designed to develop in a certain way. And that when important pieces of that developmental process are not in place, the consequences are not good. And so what we need to do Church, I'm speaking to the church now. I'm not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to change the way society is handling this problem. I can't. I have no influence over that. I want to speak to Christians. And I, I guess what I, what I hope to accomplish this weekend is to embolden Christians. I want you to be confident that you are doing the right thing when you provide answers for young people. I want to reiterate that it deeply matters whether you are male or female and that we have a responsibility to faithfully teach others what that means and to help young people answer the questions that they are naturally asking themselves, that we as adults are naturally asking ourselves about what it means to be me. What is God's plan and design for me in my life? Why am I here? Why did he create me? Why did he make me male? Or why did he make me female? God answers those questions. And he answers them in ways that are good for the individual and good for society. We're not going to convince the world outside of these walls of that. They don't believe it. They absolutely reject it. They at many points, 
hate that idea that God defines who we are. Nonetheless, they're fighting a battle they won't win because God has created us in this way. We can't get away from it. We can't change it. What we can do is embrace it and embrace God's good plan for both men and women. Now, that does not mean that I am and, and, or that we should in any way attempt to take away anyone's individual freedom. And I say that because that's the immediate objection that, that comes up, right? Oh, you, you're, you're just indoctrinating children and you're trying to decide for them things that they need to decide for themselves. I don't want to take away anyone's individual freedom. What I'm saying is, even, even though it may seem counterintuitive, what I'm saying is that when we don't provide answers for them to those important questions that they are asking themselves, we're actually doing more harm than good. Now, they can choose to reject anything that we say. Anybody can do that. At the end of the day, we can answer those questions from a biblical perspective, provide the information that, that they need to make a decision, and then they have complete freedom to say, well, I just don't like that, or I'm not going to live that way, or I don't want to fit into that mold, or, or whatever it is that they, they might their response might be. They get to decide that. But what I'm saying is, is we have to stop thinking that we're doing them a favor by not providing the answers that God has given them to the most important questions they are asking them about themselves. I hope that's fair. I think that's fair. So I feel like I needed to say all that to get into this message today because we're living in this culture where we're being, we're being told this, uh, that if we tell people what they believe, what they should believe about themselves, that that is wrong. I'm saying the opposite is true. I'm saying that not telling the next generation how the Bible answers the questions they are asking themselves is actually hurting them. So therefore, I want to encourage us to speak up. I want to encourage us to teach the truth. I want us to see the value of what the Bible says about being male and female and how we relate to God and how we relate to each other and commit ourselves to passing that on to the next generation. Knowing all the while anyone can choose for themselves to accept or reject those truths. Okay? So that's where we're headed. Now let me say one more thing before we get into our text here. This is, as I already mentioned, a male-centered sermon. So I'm giving you a fair warning, ladies, where I'm going to address the men. I'm talking to men in this message, but that doesn't mean that you should check out. That doesn't mean that we've forgotten about you. Not at all. You will hear messages directed towards women, but for now, we're going to speak to the men. While I do this, let me give you a couple of suggestions, ladies. While, while you hear this message today, I want you to, one, look for the character of God in the passage that we're about to read. Because even though I'm going to be speaking directly to the men, there's a lot here for you to learn about the kind of God that created you and that loves you and has a purpose for your life. That includes men being in your life. Second thing is I want you to listen for hints at how much God loves you and values you. And I think you'll see that when we get to the passage. 
I want you to be reminded today of how much God loves you. And then thirdly, perhaps learn how to pray for and encourage the men in your life, both young and old. Be, be on the lookout for ways that you can be praying for the men that are important to you. All right, so with that as, as our introduction today, let's look at what the Word tells us. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And that's it. That's, that's the passage for today. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. It says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's it. That's our passage. Those two verses are what I want to focus on today. Let me tell you a little bit about these words and why these words were written. Timothy, who this book was addressed to, obviously, it bears his name, was a close companion of Paul's. He participated in, in some of Paul's missionary work. He, was, he, he traveled with him at times. Paul was his mentor. Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy. And Paul eventually entrusted the Ephesian church to Timothy's pastoral leadership. And so Paul makes Timothy the pastor over the church in Ephesus. And then he writes letters to, to Timothy to encourage him and to provide further instruction for him and how he should pastor this church. And that's the book of 1 Timothy and also 2 Timothy. These are letters written by Paul to Pastor Timothy about how he should lead his church. Now, now so what you should be thinking, okay, this, if this letter is written to Timothy as a pastor, then this is pastoral application. This is, this is a good book for pastors to read. But what's that have to do with us? Well, I think the principles you're going to see go parallel very easily to all men everywhere. And so that's kind of how I want to, to unpack this today is I want to take what Paul says to Timothy the pastor and encourage all men to apply it to their lives. Timothy had a spiritual father in Paul. And this is, uh, what I, I, I love Paul and Timothy's relationship, at least a little bit that we know about it, because spiritual fathers are one of the greatest gifts a young man can receive. Every young man has the influence of his biological father. And whatever that influence is, good or bad, maybe dad wasn't even in the picture, maybe dad was, you know, a great dad, the best dad in the world, or something in between. Every young man has the influence of his biological father. But sometimes God decides to supplement that influence of the biological father with a spiritual father. And that is, at least in in my experience, one of the greatest gifts that God sometimes gives to young men. A spiritual father is somebody who adopts a younger man as somebody they're going to invest in, spiritually speaking. Going to pour themselves into I've had the privilege of having many older men invest in me spiritually. But there's one man in particular who stands out as a spiritual father. Outside of my biological father, there's one man in particular that stands out to me as a spiritual father. He's a guy that I met when I was in Bible college. His name is Darren Hellman. We call him PD, Pastor Darren, uh, or PD for short. PD, was, he was a spiritual father to me. He still is to this day. And what I mean by that is he just, he took a very vested interest in helping me grow spiritually. You see, when I got to Bible college, I was a young Christian in addition to being a young man. 
there was a lot that I needed to learn. And I needed to learn church history and theology and New Testament and Old Testament and hermeneutics and all. I needed to learn all of that. But more importantly, I needed to know what it meant to be a man of God. I needed to know how to date as a young man of God. I needed to know how to find a wife. I, I wanted to know when, when God gives me kids, if God gives me kids, how am I supposed to father them and, and bring them up as a man of God? I needed to know some very, very important things about how to live as a man of God. And so God gave me a spiritual father. And PD took me and some other guys at our college kind of under his wing, and, and he taught us in the classroom. He taught us outside of the classroom, but most importantly, he brought us into his life. On many occasions, PD would have me over to his house and, and let me see him live out what he had been telling me in the classroom, how to love his wife, how to love his kids, how to have discipline and structure in his home and in his life, and how to be a faithful man in all areas. And it impacted me greatly. In fact, I still stay in touch with him. We don't talk often, but when we do, PD still pours into me. Every conversation I have with him, he's pouring into me. He's investing in me. Now he says, he told me a few years ago, he says our relationship changed. And now we're kind of like, we're peers, we're brothers. That's what he said to me. That's a lie. He'll always be a spiritual father to me. He's always been somebody and always will be somebody that I look up to for advice. Sometimes God gives spiritual fathers to young men. That's what Paul is in Timothy's life. And so, so this priceless relationship that Timothy has with Paul results in these letters. And I'll bet these letters are some of, some of Timothy's most cherished possessions. I'll bet he loved getting a letter from Paul. And so Paul writes to him and he says, he says these words, Do not rebuke an older man. But encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now I just I just picture Timothy's ears getting real big, like I'm listening, Paul, because you know, I, I mentioned biological fathers, right? And every 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 young man can learn a lot of good things from his biological father, whether he was a good biological father or not. I happen to have a good biological father, but I didn't learn as much as I could have from my biological dad because I always knew I was smarter than him. And when you're smarter than your dad, it's just so hard, you know, when you're just convinced that, yeah, he probably knows a few things, but I already know a lot more. It's a lot harder to learn. And so God had to give me a spiritual father, right? And so, so Timothy gets this advice. Some of you are chuckling because you, you, know, you know my dad and, and, and you know the reality, I guess, of, of that situation. Timothy, Timothy receives this advice from Paul, and I want to note a couple of things. The first thing, and it's, it's time to get out your map. If you don't have that ready, we're going to start filling in some blanks. The first thing I want to note here is this. Fellow members of the body of Christ are family and should always be treated as such. Fellow members of the body of Christ. That means other believers, other Christians, the people you go to church with, the people that have this faith in common with you. Those are fellow members of the body of Christ, our family, and should always be treated as such. And so Paul uses this familial language. He talks about fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters because that's how God views the, all Christians everywhere, as his family. But we don't, 
We don't start out that way. You're not born into this world as part of the family of God. In fact, the, the gospel message tells us that we're born into this world separated from him. And that we, we increase that separation or at least confirm that separation by our sinful rebellion against God. But God wants us to be in his family. And so what he did was he sent his son Jesus He sent his son Jesus to live the life that he requires us to live, but also to die the death that our sin requires of us on the cross. And so Jesus goes to the cross in our place after having lived out 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 perfectly. After having been the perfect example of how to treat older men and younger men and older women and younger women, Jesus still died for sin on the cross, not his, but ours. And because he did that, those who believe in the gospel and those who put their trust in Jesus become members of the family of God. In fact, John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And today, I just want to make sure everybody here knows the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to make you a child of God. That even though your sin separates you from God, that Jesus came to take away that sin so that you can be in God's family. And if you'll put your trust in him and believe that what he did on the cross was for you, you will be saved and you will become a member of this family. And so if you're ready to do that today, you can do it now. And if you're doing it now, let me just say, welcome to the family. Now that you're part of the family, let's talk about what it means to be in the family. Paul says to Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Paul tells Timothy to treat older men as fathers. Clearly, he's he's meaning for him to show them respect. He's, He's leaning on ideals here. If you treated your father poorly, Paul's not saying treat older men in the church like that. He's leaning on the ideals of respect towards older men. Timothy is in a position as a pastor where he's going to need to correct men older than him. And so that can go one of, one of two ways, really. Timothy could become all arrogant and, and full of himself and see that somebody's doing something that's, that he sees as sinful and see this as an opportunity to put that man down and to rebuke him harshly in his arrogance and pride. Or, and some would suggest this was Timothy's tendency, the second, the second option because of some other things that Paul said, or he could fearfully and timidly avoid the conversation because that's, uh, that's an older man I just don't feel comfortable pointing out his sin to him. But Paul gives him a third way. He says the third way is not to rebuke him, not to avoid the conversation, but to encourage him as you would a father. That means to respectfully point out to that man what you see in a way that encourages him and in a way that lets him know that you are there to build him up and to not tear him down in your own pride and arrogance. He says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Now, how does this relate to men who aren't pastors? Because there's only a couple of us in this room that that applies to. Well, I think it's the same, really. We're to respect the older men in our lives and encourage them as we would a father. Show them the respect they deserve. 
And when you're in a position where you need to point out a fault, do it with humility and gentleness. But in general, just respect older men. They've fought more battles than you. I need to be reminded of this from time to time. I need to be reminded that, that sometimes some of the older men in my lives, even though their, their behavior or things that they may do or say or the way they do or say them might irritate me, I need to know they've been through more than I've been through. They deserve respect and they should be dealt with respectfully. They've been carrying the burdens of this life longer than I have. I might think my life's hard at times. Well, they've been living it longer. And that's worthy of respect. And so we should learn from the older men in our lives. We should encourage them. We should talk a little less and listen a little more. Of course, we need to evaluate what they're saying. They could be wrong. They could be sinning. We're not to follow them into sin. But in general, our default position should be to yield to their experience and show them the respect that they deserve, hoping to learn from them. And so the next thing you see on the map, what I want to take away from Paul's instruction here is this, men. And you'll see that the next four points are all applications for men. We're going to draw some serious applications from this passage. Men make a constant effort to see the good in every man older than you and to treat them with respect. That's what it means to be a man. To make a constant effort to see the good in every man older than you and treat them with respect. I talked, I talked earlier about secondhand lions. One of the very best scenes of the movie. In fact, you can look this up um, on YouTube. Just this scene uh, is, is on YouTube if you don't want to watch the whole movie but just want to see one of the best scenes. One of the very best scenes is when this, this boy Walter's in this little restaurant with his two uncles. And these guys, they're old, right? They're old guys. They look old. Um, you know, nobody knows what they've done with their lives just by looking at them. They just look like old, washed-up men. And these young punks come in, kind of just looking for some trouble. And they come in, they start being loud and obnoxious. And, and the one guy kind of separates himself, and he, he starts talking to, to Uncle Hub, uh, the guy played by Robert Duvall. And, and he's kind of harassing them, and he's poking at them. And, and, and Hub pushes back on him, and he says, Who do you think you are, old man? And Hub stands up, and he grabs that guy by the throat. He says, I'm Hub McCann. I've fought in two world wars and countless smaller ones on three continents. I've led thousands of men into battle with everything from horses and swords to artillery and tanks. I've seen the headwaters of the Nile and tribes of natives no white man had ever seen before. I've won and lost a dozen fortunes, killed many men, and loved only one woman with a passion a flea like you couldn't even begin to understand. That's who I am. Now go home, boy. <laughs> it's one of the best scenes in the whole movie. And then the guys, they, they're all offended, these four young guys, and it turns into this brawl. The whole thing ends with Hub actually uh, bringing these young guys along and giving them what, what his speech about what every young man needs to know. You know, we got to be reminded that men older than us, they've been through some things we haven't gone through. And we need to show them some respect. 
And we need to, we need to be willing to, to listen a little more and to learn from them. Maybe good and bad lessons at times. Now, I understand Hub McCann's a, a fictitious man, but, but real men exist in this world and should be respected. It took me too long, took me too long, really, to begin to understand my own dad. Took me too long to, to realize there was a rhyme and a reason behind his actions and, and the way he dealt with me and, and, and other people. But once I started to see that, I began to respect and admire so much about him and to see the, the, the incredible bandwidth that this man that I get to call my dad has in his life. His capacity for hard work and doing hard things in life is out of this world. And I think, you know, what if I'd have learned that a little earlier? How much more I, I could have learned? Let's, let's move on. Next, we're told to encourage younger men as brothers. So Paul separates his instruction into older men and younger men, not necessarily just meaning those who are older than Timothy and those who are younger than him, but just as general categories, older men and younger men, okay? He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers. One of the things, going back to my spiritual coach, or spiritual father, Spiritual coach, it was like some weird millennial term or something like that, uh, that talked about PD. One of the things he taught me was about having relational walls in my life. And what he meant by that was if you picture like a block wall that has layers of blocks and you put yourself in the middle. He taught me that you need to have relationships where there's people who are above you, people who are older or more mature or have greater wisdom or experience in certain areas of your life who are pouring into you, sort of mentors, you know, people who are investing in you. And then you need to have your peers. You need to have people who are on the same level as you, maybe the same place in life, similar levels of spiritual maturity because you need to keep each other accountable and encourage each other to run the race. And then you need to have people who are in the wall under you, not meaning that in a derogatory way, but people who are younger or even just less spiritually mature than you. And you need to be investing in them and extending the hand out to them and helping them come along. And that's what we see Paul doing with Timothy here. He tells them first to encourage older men as fathers, but younger men as brothers. Paul reminds Timothy to be investing in the younger generation. To help them out, to engage them, not to, not to beat them down, not to tell them everything they do wrong, but to engage them in a positive way that will help them grow. And, and I think included in that. If we go back to my relational wall illustration, included that is gathering some brothers around you who are running the race with you. And so the next thing you see on the map is this. Men, find some bros. Find some guys. Find some bros who will run alongside you to keep you accountable and help you run. And find some guys younger or less spiritually mature than you and pour into them helping them grow, helping them mature spiritually. And so that, that was the, the next thing on the map there. Then he transitions away from, and let me say a couple of things on that first of all. And, and women, I think this might be a, a great place for you to, to kind of engage in what we're saying here because I, I realize every marriage is different, so I don't want to speak I don't want to speak out of my marital experience and expect it to be the same in your marriage. But I, I talk, 
I talk to wives about their husbands occasionally, and, and I get a lot of feedback about this kind of thing. And I just want to say, you as a, as a couple, those of you that are married, right? You as a couple need to work out what this looks like in your life. And what I mean by that is women often, women who are spiritually running the race, often uh, want their husbands to have some men that they can talk to. And they want their husbands to have some, some bros that are running alongside of them. But men don't always engage in those relationships. And so the two of you need to talk that out and, and discuss what that would look like in your life. What that would look like in your marriage. Does that mean he needs, he needs a night out every couple of weeks with some guys to go do some things you might not understand? Um, or does that, what does that mean? Does that mean you need to join together with some other couples that you befriend? But you need to encourage him in a way that, that you don't become his mom, but encourage him in a way that helps him develop those relationships with other men. And so... But I know you need that too. And so that's why I say you need to work it out. You, some women might be thinking, well, he's always going out with his friends and I'm always home with the kids or, or what? I don't get to go out with my girlfriends. That's just something you're going to have to work out together. You know, in, in Kim and I's relationship, I'm very social. In fact, I, I love an illustration I heard one time that people are like Legos. Some of them have like just two receptors and then some of them have like 16 receptors and relationally, we're like that. Some people need very few close relationships, and other people need a lot. Well, I'm the guy that needs a lot. Like, I, ha- I have a lot of good friends and close friends. My wife has, like, two friends that she talks to twice a year, and that works for them. And they're best friends. That's what it means to be a best friend in my wife's world. You talk twice a year, and you just maintain that relationship for 35 years, right? But for me, it's it's... I'm, I'm a much more social person. And so you need to understand perhaps the differences between you. And that's not a male-female thing because I know guys that are like my wife and I know, I know gals that are like me. And so you just need to talk about that and understand that. That's very important. That's why I took a minute to say that. It's very important that the both of you have people that you're running the race with who are keeping you accountable, who are encouraging you to keep going, and who are, are, you know, are willing to call you out when you're, when you're not doing the right things. And so that's the advice that, that Paul gives to Timothy regarding younger men. Now he transitions to women. Timothy's relationship with, with women within the body of Christ. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Encourage older women as mothers. Now, obviously, Paul is drawing on the natural, familial relationships we have. And he, he has, again, he has in, time, in mind the times that we get those relationships right. All of us at some point don't treat our parents or siblings the way we should. But the Word of God says here to encourage older women as mothers. You know, I've, for me, this is, you know, my mom's a rock star. I've always been close with my mom. Seriously, we've just always been tight. I remember being a rebellious teenager and all of my friends were rebelling against their parents and um, I'd see them treat their moms nasty and I'd go home and I'm like, I'm going to do it today. I'm going to rebel against mom. I'm going to be nasty to her. And I just couldn't do it, (laughs) you know, and we've just always been close and we've always had that relationship. But because of that, I've had, a, I think, a pretty good front row seat into, into the world of womanhood. And guys, 
Women are different than us. <laughs> Their needs are different. Their responses to life are different. They hurt in different ways and then for different reasons than we do. Therefore, they need to be appreciated. I think the application of that is that mothers and older women need to be appreciated. They need to know that their often invisible work is deeply and regularly appreciated by us men. Our culture devalues motherhood. Our culture devalues womanhood. Our culture devalues some of the most important work that happens in the universe. The work of a mother or a woman within her home. Our culture devalues that and it it tells moms and women in general to trade in success at home for success in the workplace. Women are grossly underappreciated. Men, let's change that. At least for the women in our lives. Let's change that by encouraging them and appreciating them, as as Paul says to Timothy here, as mothers. Treat them with kindness and notice and appreciate their valuable work. The next thing you see on the map, men, encourage and value the older women in your life. Add joy to their work by showing them how much you appreciate them. Let me give a couple uh, tips here. Young ladies, uh, young unmarried ladies, if you're looking for a husband, how do, you wanna, how do you know if you found a good man? Don't pay any attention to how he treats you because he's lying. <laughs> when young men find a young woman that they're attracted to, they lie. They don't treat you the way they're going to treat you the rest of your life. Look at the way he treats his mom. And if he has sisters, look at the way he treats his sisters. That'll tell you a lot about the kind of man that he is. The way he treats his mom, the way he treats his sisters, that's probably the way he's going to treat you the rest of his life. So if you don't like it, don't marry it. But don't believe the lie of how he's treating you. If you're the only woman in the world that he treats with respect, he's lying. Young men, practice being a good husband now by appreciating your mom, by treating your sisters with love. Be a good son, be a good brother, and you'll have a better chance of being a good husband. Let's move on. Older women... As mothers, verse 2, younger women as sisters, and then there's this very interesting phrase, in all purity. Just in case Timothy wasn't sure what Paul meant when he said, treat young, younger women as sisters, he adds that phrase, in all purity. And so the passage ends with this instruction to encourage younger women as sisters and to do so in all purity. This isn't just good instruction for Timothy as a pastor. This is good instruction for all Christian men. In fact, it's not just instruction, it's a command. God commands all Christian men to treat all women with purity. 
regardless of whether or not you think they deserve it, regardless of whether or not the decisions that they have made about their life and how to present themselves and how to conduct themselves is conducive for treating them with purity, God commands that we as Christian men look at all women with purity. No doubt there's not a man alive who has gone through puberty and who has kept this command perfectly. But for most men, this isn't just an area where we occasionally have to contend with a lustful thought or two, but rather it's an ongoing, constant battle to keep our thoughts pure. And so Paul puts this special emphasis on Timothy's relationship with women, particularly those of the younger category. And he reminds him to interact with them in all purity. So the last thing you see on the map, though we're not done, the last thing you see on your map, men, strive to live in all purity toward the women in your life. Men, strive to live in all purity toward the women in your life. That is a command from God Jesus made it clear that to lust after a woman in your heart is to commit adultery with her in your heart. Your mind is not a playground where you can do anything you want with anybody you want. Encourage younger women as sisters in all purity. I hope that those words strike deep into the heart of every man the way they do into my own heart. Let me, give you, let, me, let me give you a couple ways I think we can and should seek to do this. One, avoid flirting with other women. And I'm talking to married men and unmarried men. Just because you're not married doesn't mean every woman is for you to flirt with, okay? Avoid flirting with other women, If you have a sister, you don't flirt with her, do you? Or at least you shouldn't. I'm not saying things don't go wrong or get weird sometimes. But the example that Paul gives us is to treat younger women as sisters. And so treat them with purity. Don't don't go around trying to impress every woman that you met. If if you're that desperate to get a girlfriend, then she's probably not going to stick around for very long anyhow. So just focus on being a more secure and confident man and be a good man, no matter how old you are. Two, guard your thought life against fantasies. Men, don't give yourself the freedom to treat women differently in your mind than you know you can in the physical realm. Three, just treat every woman like your sister. How do you want the women that you love and value in your own family to be treated? That's how you should treat other women. That's, how, that's the example that, that Paul gives to Timothy. Now, this is a tall order. This is deserving of a whole sermon, perhaps a series of sermons for us men. This is not an easy task. Perhaps it's an impossible task. But every Christian man is called into this fight. And I know I'm touching on the tip of, a, of the iceberg here when I bring this stuff up. We must engage in this fight 
by grace-fueled activity. I'm not talking about just just man up and have, you know get your willpower together and 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 say you're going to you're going to do it we need the grace of god we need the help of the holy spirit we need the perfect man jesus christ to give us life so that we live more and more like him and i know we we won't do this perfectly we will fail many times at this but we must fight We must use scripture, we must use worship, we must use accountability with other men, we must use everything at our disposal, but we must do all of those things in the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace that he gives. And then at the end of the day, when we look in the mirror and know that we've still failed more than we should have, we need to rely on the grace of Jesus to forgive us. I'm not, not here to heap guilt on the men in this room and to tell you that you're so broken and you're so messed up because of, of your thought life or because of things that you've actually done in the physical realm and that you can't be forgiven. I'm here to tell you that Jesus does forgive you. But he also wants to help you grow. And so you come to him and you seek his mercy. And let me say this, if you're in it, I'm talking to the guys here. And ladies, if this applies to you, then, then you do the same thing. If you're in over your head in this area in terms of your thought life and, and, and lustful thoughts and actions towards the women in your life, if you're in over your head, you're like, I got a bigger problem than, than you know, then you need to seek help. You need to seek out your campus pastor or another mature man, Christian man in your life, and and you work on that area and you get help. There are some fantastic resources that the Christian church has put out in the last few years to help men engage in this fight. And if you're not aware of those resources, your campus pastor is, and he wants to help you fight. You think, well, I don't want him to know. I don't want him to know what I've been doing. He's not going to be surprised. Pornography is epidemic in the church. You're not going to surprise anybody in pastoral ministry with what you've been doing. And so if you're in over your head, and a lot of guys in the church are, then you seek out help. I would encourage you to start with your campus pastor. Ladies, that goes for you too. In closing, men and women both, okay, I want, to talk to, I want to talk to everybody now, men and women both, what areas of your life has this passage or message shed some light on that you need to be forgiven for? I want to end on grace. I want to end by reminding you that, okay, that, that was it, that was, that was Paul's what every man needs to know speech or whatever you want to call it. Paul, Paul delivers this to Timothy and, and he, we're included in that as men in the church, okay? And here's what it means to be a man, at least in a couple of areas. And if you're anything like me, you're going, well, I don't live up to that standard. And that's why Jesus came. Because none of us do. And even though that's not an excuse to not strive to grow and to become more like Christ in these areas, I just want you to remember that Jesus died for your sins already. Your past, your present, and your future sins have been paid for on the cross. He forgives you, he loves you, and he wants to help you grow. So if this has brought up anything in your life that you're thinking, I need help here, that help is available right now. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. 
we invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.